everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 32, Painful Peripherals, recorded December 18th, 2011, brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Aaron, were you laughing at my radio voice? Is that what that was? <laughs> No, that was the that was my attempt to put my eardrums back into their locations. <laughs> oh, yeah, blow you out. Of, yeah, a little bit. I got my big radio out. voice going. I, I sometimes I just slip into that. Sometimes I don't. <laughs> I don't know why. But the intros tend to be where I do it most. It was, it was just it was a little overdriven. Let's just say <laughs> compression hadn't quite kicked in yet, huh? No. Uh, so this week we're going to talk about uh, this is our episode after Christmas. Okay, so this is uh, going to air uh, on. December 27th or 8th, 28th. So we're recording it a little early. We're recording it actually on the 18th, so 10 days early. Uh, So we can't actually talk about our Christmas yet because it hasn't happened. But uh, I just wanted to let you know that uh, we didn't want to miss an episode, so we're doubling up. But we're going to talk about uh, something that happens every year around this time. Maybe not to you, but certainly uh, to uh, people you know and love. And that is... uh, you get all these new peripherals and you need to be able to hook them up. And so what do you do? Uh, particularly, particular, partic- I'm paid to speak people. This is what I do. Uh, <laughs> particularly, um, when it comes to dealing with, uh, peripheral, uh, Linux, you know, you get all these things that are designed to work in windows. What do you do if you have a Linux machine? So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And, um, that's that. That's my ham-handed and clumsy intro to the show. Well, at least you got through it, Mark. Well, the thing is, I was I was doing I was. You can always tell when I'm multitasking because that's when I stop uh, and pause a lot because I'm trying to do something else. Is that better, Aaron? I'll just ask. Yes. That there. Okay. Good. Because I was having to adjust his mix while I was trying to read something else and think, and the thinking is the thing that I'm least good <laughs> at. So yeah, everything everything suddenly becomes slower right <laughs> when you're spit, splitting your bandwidth right you know, it's between just like a, them it's like a processor that's splitting cycles right you can't, exactly what it's it, like it's it does every still doing every the same amount of things but it's just taking time at doing one of them so my friend bob from work that i mentioned before smart guy but he he is the quintessential single tasker if we're walking up to the door and talking at the same time we have swipe cards to get into the building i've seen him get his key out and go to the swiper with his key while he's talking to me because he can't process i'm talking to aaron having conversation i know i need to get in this building what do i do oh i use keys to get into buildings <laughs> and, they're like, and they're like oh mob you don't need to. oh okay he put his keys back in his pocket so i've also seen him do just the opposite and pull his swiper out to swipe a door that takes a key does he have to stop talking long enough to to put the card in the slot Yes, he has to pause long enough to do that. And he's kind of scary to ride with when he's talking back to our conversation from the periodic table the other day because he were literally n- not taking action. You know, as long as he's going straight down the highway, he's fine. But getting to turn in somewhere <laughs> or something, it's like, we need to stop. This, that's the restaurant right there where goes the restaurant. <laughs> my, my wife, uh, her name for that is, she says I go into drive mode. That I just start driving and I'm in drive mode. I'm not in turn mode. I'm not in exit mode. I'm in drive yeah. mode. You're, you're subconsciously handling the task of staying on the road and being safe, but making any other decisions beyond that is not really happening. Right. So, yeah, we'll be wrapped up in a conversation coming home, and I'll miss the exit to the place I've lived for 15 years. Right. And she'll say, you were in drive mode, weren't you? Yes, I was. My mom used to say that to my dad. What do you do when I'm not here? He says, I'm not talking to you. I'm driving. That's right. Yes. <laughs> That's the truth. You know, I guess I probably ought to introduce these hosts. So the guy I've been bantering back and forth with is Aaron Butler, the former fat guy. Hey, Aaron, how's it going? Fantastic. Glad to be here. And with us again is our favorite command line godfather, Mr. Chris Neves. Hey, Chris. Hey, how you guys doing? And of course, the gooey kid, Mr. Seth Anderson. Hey, Seth. Hello, everyone. Hope you had an awesome Christmas. A little gooey do you. And that's one of the uh, uh, downsides of doing two shows at once. I already introduced everybody an hour and a half ago, so I was done. But no, no, we're doing a whole other show. I've got to do that again. So I'm I'm, bring, I'm fresh off the bench, though. That's right. See, we we believe in piercing the fourth wall here at Element OP. We'll tell you everything that's going on. Uh, no no uh, uh, illusions of professionalism here. Yes, I love it's, it's it's one of my joys in podcasting on on my primary show to mention its asynchronicity when it happens. Yes. 
and I edit it out as often as possible. Wink, 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 wink. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, the, I started saying earlier before we started recording that this uh, this is the time of year where we just tell Aaron and all those other working stiffs like him to just eat your heart out because uh, Chris and I are off for the next two weeks. Or I assume that's the case for you too, right, Chris? Nope. Oh, no. No, I work most of the Christmas break. I, I actually have a pressfall of uh, large upgrades that are going to go into place this Christmas break. They well, don't celebrate you- Christmas up there in Canada, eh? <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we get a couple day. of days, but uh, we get a couple of days, but most of the time it's, yeah, you, you were working all the way through. So, yeah, I know. Some- I hoped. To- Different people handle say, that different ways. Some people, uh, the tech crew, don't get any time off. Some of them don't even get spring break off. The way the way my school has always done it is we get all the same breaks as the teachers, uh, but we only get like uh, four days during the summer. Let me ask this, Chris. When I mean, we've been on podcasts now for weeks and weeks, but one, and I know you work in education, but what I don't know, maybe some of our listeners might be interested, is what type of school you work in. Like I know Mark uh, supports a K through twelve smaller uh texas school correct mark yes and chris how about yourself well it's a k through 12 school as well but we're in four separate buildings scattered throughout my town now it it may only take 10 minutes to get to each school from each other school but uh it's still you know 600 people at each at each at each building that has to be taken care of plus machines so so is it a is it a public school system yes is it city based there, or is it county based, or how does that work? Um, county based. Okay, because that that was something new to me. Because like in Texas, Mark, you know, almost everything is based by city, right. unless you have a bunch of small towns. Then you'll do a co-op sometimes. Uh, at least in the parts of Texas I lived in, but here in in Georgia where I live now, everything is county based. Like it's Cobb County ISD, Fulton County ISD. Yeah. So it's kind of yeah, little, no, little we're, we're 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 well we're a, a county based um it's the dawson county high schools where my office is located so yeah we're it's a lot of buildings to cover and of course depending on how rural or how uh uh, what's the opposite of rural city urban urban Urban. thank you uh the in some cases I, i might posit a guess there in montana that the county would only have a couple of cities in it because they're very spread out uh, I know there are, there are places where I live where there is uh, Lamar County that only has really one large city and a couple of small cities, and then there's Fannin County, which is like a whole bunch of small cities. But I know uh, uh, other places where uh, the the county might only be one city of any size, so yeah. that makes a little Georgia, more sense. There's there's areas like that in Georgia as well. But then well, you know, like my- Fulton County is a is a crazy huge school district because that's that's like the northwest and northern part of the Atlanta metro area. You know, so it's it's a it's just ridiculously huge. It'd be like the equivalent of Dallas ISD. You know, that kind of thing. So anyway, I didn't mean to take us off on that. I was just curious, Chris. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> no problem. Okay, so I uh, I guess I will say to all of you, eat your hearts out, except Seth, who's unemployed, and he gets even more time off than I do. But uh, <laughs> uh, starting on, uh, what date was that, the 16th? Yes, Friday the 16th, I will be off until January the 2nd. Um, nice. So it, it, in, uh, I expect that uh, today's the 18th, so I suspect um, 19th or 20th, I'll be sick of my family and ready to go back to work. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, and see, the other thing that's kind of entertaining is we're actually still in school. Um, we don't stop school until I think uh, Wednesday. Okay. Wow. So right up, right up to we. I've I've been at uh, the school I've worked at. We've done that before. We've gone like up until the twenty first or twenty second. But uh, uh, yeah. this year we opted to take some summer days that we don't ordinarily take, and we got the whole week for Thanksgiving off plus two weeks at Christmas. But the teachers had to work like a week and a half that they wouldn't ordinarily during the summer to make up for it. I, you know, I taught school for a couple of years and we had, um, we had three days off for Thanksgiving, three extra days off Had a five day week weekend for Thanksgiving. We had typically two weeks off around Christmas, New Year's. And then, uh, we actually had a four day weekend usually for Easter. We usually had Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, which I thought was kind of interesting. Monday being a teacher's work day, actually, um, student holiday. And then, you know, the typical summer break, whatever was left was in the summer. We did not have of course, we had a week of spring break. Big thing in here in Atlanta area, in Georgia, and it may be the same in Texas now because I've been out of teaching for so long, is a fall break. We didn't have a fall break 
other than Thanksgiving. But here they have like an October three-day break, usually a four-day break um, as well, which is kind of strange. Yeah, it's interesting how many things we hold over from when we were an agrarian society. I mean, spring break was originally the harvest, uh, or the planting, rather. I guess fall break would be the harvest, and uh, and and spring break was when you had to take the week off to go plant all your corn and your sorghum and whatever, uh, and those traditions sorghum. held over. How random is that, Mark? <laughs> no, that's not random. Where I live, we plant a lot of sorghum, so that's what's, what was on my mind. But if you say, if you went to ask somebody... Name 10 vegetables. (laughs) Sorghum would not be on anybody's list. Survey says. Sorghum and soybeans are very big around here. Mm. So uh, Hmm. uh, farmers like to joke that they need to plant some extra soybeans so the grasshoppers will have something to eat. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, Chris, you have a new pod catcher to tell us about. Yeah, it's one that I, I picked up listening to a, a, one of my other Linux podcasts that I pick up every once in a while and listen to. Are you two-timing me with other Linux podcasts? Well, I got to listen to what everyone else is saying, too. Maybe I could pick up some other show ideas. So this one is called G-Potter, and it works um, pretty similar to Miro, the one I've been using. Uh, it's just It also has a web interface as well, so it's kind of a neat little thing to use. Um, I haven't dug too deep into it, but it does support a little bit more stuff than Miro does with the uh, the web interface. Um, but it, it seems to be, I know everyone's looking for a new and a different type of podcatcher, and this one is another one you could take a look at. Hmm. I'll have to look into that. Okay. Yeah. And if I remember right, it's Linux only. Well, that's oh, wait, per- I, I'm sorry. I, I was mistaken. There is a Windows version and there is an Android version. Oh, okay. I'll have oh, to check Android out the version. Android Interesting. Is it, it, it does say the Android the Android version is experimental, so I don't know if it'd be something to 100%ly trust just yet, but it's something to look at. Aaron, do you have a podcatching client on your phone? I have. Uh, I've played around with my pod. And I've also played around with, um, I can't remember the one that I put on last time, but I have not, I still haven't paid for one yet. Okay. I know that, uh, what's it, Dog Pod, pod Dog, what's it, Dog something? Dog Catcher is very, very popular. Dog Catcher, thank you. And um, I but like, that's a uh, pay for, right? Right. And I, I use uh, um, something that I can't remember the name of right now. <laughs> what I typically do is I'll just uh, put my, hook my phone up with a USB cable. And just pull down a half a dozen because I don't really listen to them in the car um, because my commute's pretty short, and so I usually only use them, listen to them when I run. And so I only need a couple of three a week, and I'll just rotate them like that. It's easier at this point than paying for something just because I'm cheap. Well, that's the way um, iOS and uh, I'm not sure about BlackBerry or. or uh, Windows, how they well, no. When I had a BlackBerry, I had a client, but I know iOS doesn't have any p- native pod catching clients that I know of. You do it through iTunes and you sync your computer, and that's just right. the way it is. That is correct. Four, now they have the cloud cloud sync. Yeah, now you, they you can do more now with the latest version, but uh, it's still pretty. Uh, I, they're semi smartphones because you can't really manage them without. <laughs> Another device. Well, I think the iOS five is supposed to fix that. Beyond Pod is what I use. I just uh, just looked that yeah, up. Uh, Beyond Pod. I like it. It's uh, I think a six dollar app and well worth it. I might I might have to to knuckle down and do that. But okay, so uh, G Potter, check that out cool. if you're interested. So Aaron, what are you an old pro at now? I'll tell you what I did the other day, guys. Um, you know, pretty much my my Linux. I've still mostly just played around with my Ubuntu install that I originally did. Um, got my one of my laptops dual booting on Ubuntu, and so uh, about half the time, well, more than half the time, it's actually still up in Windows because my we used it as a second computer for my wife. And the other day, she said, "Aaron, I'm," and you know how those of you who know my wife know she's actually one of the sweetest people on the planet. So for her to say something like this, it sounds much more emphatic coming from me. Aaron, I'm sick of this computer. Every time I reboot it for some reason, um, when I come back, it's booted up into Linux. And I was like, yes, because that's, you know, Grub is set up and that's the default is uh, up at the top of the list is Linux. And it's going to boot into that if you're not there to intervene. And I thought, you know, I know 
a hundred percent, even though I've never done it, there's gotta be a way to simply fix that boot order using grub. You know, there's got a way to modify that. So I just, it was I had already booted back up a new Ubuntu. So I was just pulled up Firefox and Googled, changed my grub boot order or default booter and found out the second thing was an article about it and a wiki about it. It said, you need to download startup manager. So I went to this resource center, Ubuntu uh, software center, downloaded a startup manager, installed it, launched it, put windows as my default, rebooted it. It came right up into windows and my wife is happy. And now I'm happy as well. That's GUI kit approved, Aaron. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you very much. Cause Cheryl saying that is one step away from actually beating you. So yeah. Yep. And you weren't here for the show we did on bootloaders, but we actually talked about that very process. Uh, you, I, I was. Sounds I was like you here. Were, you were okay. I was here. I just wasn't paying attention. Okay, so no, you were. I was, no, I was here. We talked in general about bootloaders, but I don't think we talked about startup manager and changing. If we did, I missed that. I didn't have a context to understand it in until I read the article. Maybe so that would definitely be Grub Two, by the way you described it. Yes, it was Grub Two. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that comes with. With uh, Ubuntu, I don't know what, I think it was 9.10 is when they started using Grub2. Right. Any uh, Grub1, it would have simply been a uh, text file you open and change. Edit, right. Uh, but, yeah. And so, also, um, I have opted to this point to still not go to 11.10 uh, because I just opted to not go to 11.10. So. So you're no longer a noob in residence. We have to go find another noob because yeah, you can mess so, with bootloaders. You're a pro. <laughs> yeah. I am I am the I'm the dube in press <laughs> the dube. <laughs> All right, Seth, you're our our expert at tracking down interesting and bizarre news articles. What do you got for us this week? Well, since we're pre-recording this show so far in advance, I decided to go a little more tech-centric and not so much Linux. Um, the first thing is uh, I'm no, not sure how many people know about this, but Windows 8 will have a kill switch in it that Microsoft can use to remotely kill apps which um, sounds like a big deal but if you realize all of the other mobile OS's have it, the iPhone has it, Android has it, I'm sure Blackberry has it um, one thing when I was researching the story um, I found out that Apple has never used theirs but Google has used theirs a number of times to get rid of mal-infested apps so you would think that the draconian closed nature of apple they would be the one who had used it and not the uh not google but anyway well, apple just doesn't let things get through that need to be blocked or right that, that's their company line but uh, uh kindle android has used it for the kindle for that uh, uh if you remember the old 1984 episode which was ironic that uh, that was the, the t- topic in question that they silently erased off of all the kindles in the world huh you don't remember that no okay. i don't Sorry, I've uh, I've slept since then. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's uh, Windows 8. It will have a kill switch in it, which uh, you know I'm kind of a I'm not a big fan of. But uh, I guess there won't be much choice you will have except don't use it. Um, uh, the next order is the Windows Store, which uh, Microsoft is marketing. It's like their response to the Android Marketplace and the App Store. They, uh, you know, they have a pretty closed licensing agreement, but they made an exception for open source, and uh, it says your license terms must also not conflict with the standard application license terms in any way, except if you include FOSS, which stands for Free Open Source Software. Your license terms may conflict with the limitations set forth in Section 3, but only to the extent required by the FOSS that you use, which, um, you know, Apple went so far as to pull the VLC Media Player app because of its licensing agreement. So Microsoft, you know, maybe not the most open source friendly company in the world, but they have, uh, they love to have open source. Maybe not has your OS, but if you have their OS, you can put all the open source apps you want to in their marketplace. So I thought it was a neat, interesting article that um, link will be in our show notes if you want to read a little bit more about that. And the last thing I wanted to mention was the SOPA uh, SOPA, there's a great video. Uh, we have a link uh, for Vimo where you can go on and watch it, and it's just a guy explaining it. If if you watch, if you listen to us, you probably already know what SOPA is, and you know why we should be opposed to it. But somebody else will go, "Huh? What's that?" Um, you could just have them watch this video. It's only a couple of minutes, and uh, 
just kind of explain what's going on and why people should be concerned about it. Because, I mean, you know, technically, if we link to a proprietary information or something, or if we accidentally played some music that um, was not copyright free, then uh, und- if under SOPA, our whole brand, our whole website could be shut down. So, anyway, that's some news. Uh, some of the news that's fit to print, I guess, as they say. Uh-huh. All right, that's thanks, uh, Seth. SOPA is a bad thing that needs to go away. Back to you, Mark. But it looks like it's being. Um, it's actually fast kind of being track. fast-tracked, yeah. And uh, they recently def- uh, rejected all of the amendments that would kind of help clean up some of the uh, more draconian practices. Yeah, wow, they, okay, that's- they even went so far as to uh, say that they'll be back for a special session uh, just to cover SOPA and get it passed. It's a big deal. They want it passed. and Wow. Well, because, you know, the record companies have more money than the uh, free open source advocates to buy vote or I'm sorry, um, to lobby their bill. And that's a scary thing for us. Um, SOPA is so bad that I, I'm really hoping that it doesn't pass. Yeah, because the the potential for collateral damage there is so huge because the, the method they've laid out is 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 the shotgun and sledgehammer method. It's it's yep. uh, if one guy like on my web host does something bad, they can kill, kill the entire web host and thousands of other uh, clients, and there's no recourse. Yeah, you know, here's a easy way it could be abused. Some uh, executive makes a phony account on YouTube and uploads one pirated song, then under this bill as it currently is written, they could take down the entire YouTube website, and really, because Google is their parent company, they could take down the entire Google website um, and block advertising revenue from it. That That's how open-ended the software or the bill is written right now. So call your representative. Get them involved. Let them know that this is a bunch of crap. But watch this video and maybe show the video to your friends who think, oh, you're just being a tinfoil hat guy. Just explain to them what it is and why it's bad. Um, You know, we're not advocating piracy by any means, but, you know, using a nuclear missile to destroy, I don't know, uh, a hangnail is a little overkill. Or and maybe that's a little slightly exaggerated, but <laughs> just slightly, <laughs> just but not much. Well, and the other thing that makes us, you know, that brings us up is if SOPA does pass, um, that really breaks the internet for not just the United States but for the whole world, because a lot of the name servers are U.S. based, so the U.S. could literally kill the internet with one swift right of the pen. You know we. We all lambast China for how closed they have made their, uh, their you know, what is it called, the bamboo curtain or whatever. But yet we're doing something that really makes China seem like a haven for free speech. I don't know that that is too much exaggeration. It's scary is what it is. Yeah. All right. It so is. Downside, uh, uh, short, long story short, SOPA bad call your congressman although it doesn't really seem to matter uh, they've gotten lots of calls and lots of messages about it but they like it so it looks like it's going to be the law of the land and there doesn't seem to be a lot we can do about it all like but all we can do is keep telling our representatives that it's bad occupy washington <laughs> <laughs> all right guys That's- anything else before we aaron what were you going to say I was just gonna, I was gonna say now that's funny. <laughs> okay, occupy Washington. I like that. <laughs> okay. We should all march on Washington, digitally and physically. <laughs> yeah, the the Tea Party guys have some uh, uh, good points. I think about that. Just throw them all out. Um, well, and you know, a lot of times, and I was just working in a, a place. Uh, I don't know if they're Tea Party people, but they're saying you know that. We, when this when we were this whole country was set up, there was no such thing as a long term representative. There were two, four years maybe, and then they were out and knew somebody else was in. Why do we have long term representation? But you know, it's like one 
is it the people in Washington don't know what they're doing or they don't care? Because, you know, if you work on Wall Street and you get rich off of inside information, you go to jail. But if you work on the Hill and you get rich off inside information, well, that's a job perk. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a wrong good way to look to at it. Yeah, it's wrong for you, but not for me. So uh, I wonder, you know, because I'm sure they wouldn't be. I thought it I kind of wish I was a millionaire whenever the uh, eminent domain passed. Um, I don't remember what state it was in, but they wanted to build a shopping center or whatever. And these homeowners wouldn't sell. So they convinced the city council to condemn or to claim the land by eminent domain or whatever i thought you know i would love to find a supreme court justice's house and offer to develop a free hospital on that land and claim it under eminent domain like that i wonder how fast the law would have been changed but so anyway enough uh tinfoil hat wearing sorry to uh <laughs> derail the show no, that's all right because that's that is something that is important to uh, for to us, right? Anybody who's a uh, a content creator on the internet is concerned about that, and anybody who's a content consumer should be concerned about it. Yeah, because um, the video, the example they talked about, if if you are recording a video and you upload it to YouTube, and there is. Uh, I don't know, a Justin Bieber song playing in the background on the radio, well, then you can be held liable for uh, posting copyrighted material. That's how open-ended it is. Well, you know, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, I was watching one of his videos, and, and he was railing on politicians in general. He's like, basically, politicians aren't the people who are the smartest, the most educated, the most informed. They're the best arguers. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how you get to be a politician. You can debate the best and argue the best, and uh, whether your point's valid or not, you're able to shout down the other person. He said, if you look at it, look at it. It's like if you lined up all the congressmen, it's like lawyer, 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 businessman, lawyer, 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 businessman, lawyer. <laughs> and uh, I mean, there's some there's some validity to that point. Uh, you don't see engineer, scientist, you know, educator, doctor, lawyer. That the the number of representation of people um, from the legal profession in uh, the realm of politics is pretty high. Yeah, and unfortunately, the uh, skill set for being a politician and the skill set for being a states man or states woman, to be politically correct, or states person, would uh, you know, there's not a lot of overlap there. There's some overlap, but there's also a lot of differentiation between the two yeah all right enough politics they're dead to me <laughs> that concludes everyday politics yeah we'll save that stuff for the uh for the uh, periodic table because periodic table, that's the sort of stuff we talk about there if you're not familiar with that show if you haven't heard us mention it with uh, our newest show on the element op networks called the periodic table go check it out uh it is where we get hosts from our shows aaron seth me uh chris uh, uh and guys from other shows we get together once a week and we talk about anything and everything uh, mix it up we mix it up we argue with each other we make fun, fun of each other uh we have a lot of fun i laugh more in that show uh, every week than i do any uh, any of the others it's uh, it's good stuff so check it out at elementop.com so to get on with the uh, topic of the of the week uh 30 minutes in i guess maybe we should go ahead and get to the topic sure. uh one of the things that always happens is that you will either give and or get uh some sort of gadget over Christmas, and you got to figure out how to hook it up. And if you're a Linux user, sometimes that is much more of a hassle than it should be. I oh. will use my own uh, example. When I got the iPad that I own now, again, it was a, a contest that I won a drawing. Uh, I always like to specify that because I would never buy an iPad. I just don't think they're worth the money right now. Uh, but when I, when I got it home, I was a Linux user, right? I could not activate it. It was not possible to activate it uh, on Windows. So uh, the first thing, when you first turn it on, it says, now uh, connect to your computer and connect to iTunes now. iTunes, as, as we all know, famously does not work in Linux and does not work in Wine at all or, or barely works. Um, so I did what I like to do, my old trusty uh, virtual machine. I fired that up. That didn't work. It was like it knew that it was there's a layer of abstraction there somewhere, and it just wouldn't work. So uh, if you have an iPod or an iPhone or an iPad, uh, the answer to how do you uh, 
activate it using Linux is you don't. And that may be the answer to some of the things that we come up to today. It's just you're going to have to go get a, a Windows computer, and that's just all the way, all there is to it. Um, now, what if you wanted to like upload an a uh, uh, an app for the Apple Store that you wrote for for Element Opie? Uh, that would be awesome if you could do that. But uh, unfortunately, you're going to have to find a Mac to do that. Uh, huh. So, Aaron, all while Aaron wasn't here last week, he's obviously listened to the show. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we're just going to go down the line uh, and list some things. And guys in the chat room, if you have something, uh, uh, go ahead and, and mention that, or, or uh, we'll uh, spit some things out as we go, I'm sure. But just off the top of my head, I listed a few things. Uh, webcams. What do you do if you're upside down and possibly not wearing pants? Uh, well, first of all, you get some shorts. <laughs> Uh, so that's uh, this is a case where Chris, you know, I, I mentioned that because Chris was upside down to us for a very long time because his webcam didn't work in Linux. And what was your solution, Chris? Well, it, it was a mix of two things, actually. One was it actually dropped uh, the Linux kernel developers, actually fixed the driver that was broken in with for my particular camera to turn it right side up. And at the same time, I installed a webcam studio program that allowed me to actually rotate the camera software-based. So I ended up with a fix twice over and didn't realize it. Webcam Studio is a great tool for that for Linux. Uh, yep. That you do all sorts of uh, really cool video compositing and stuff. Now, if this is your your grandma who you've set up, you've set up with Ubuntu or or Aaron, you mentioned your wife. Uh, you know, obviously that's not going to be something up their alley, but it is something you can go in and set up and tell them if you ever have this trouble, just turn this on and it'll rotate your um, image. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing you could also do with with it depends on the type of webcam too. Uh, mine was a particularly prob uh, uh, one that had a problem from the get go. Uh, a lot of the USB cameras, like I'm currently using a Microsoft HD. I don't remember the exact model number, but it worked out of the box. I didn't have to plug anything. I didn't have to do anything. Um, I just plugged it in, and poof, it worked. So. A lot of times, the first thing you should do is just plug it in and see if Linux sees it. Uh, a lot of the drivers are right in the Linux kernel, so that would be the first thing I would do. And sometimes, like you said, Chris, um, they'll just they'll fix it. Going, you know, at some point in the not too distant future. You know, one of my original problems when I installed Ubuntu was my there was no driver supporting my wireless. I don't know if you guys remember that, like from our yep. very first episode. Um, they have since apparently fixed it in a recent update because uh, my wireless is now working on my Ubuntu. Even though I'm still running 11.4, um, it's actually the wireless is, is recognized now and working. Same with me. My wireless wasn't working on my little NL1, and now it works great. So just with a more recent version of the OS. And I didn't even notice when they fixed it. It just, in one of my regular updates, it pulled it down and just started working. And that's a pretty frustrating thing to tell somebody, hey, this new tool that you just got for Christmas, uh, wait, and it'll start working. But sometimes, yeah. unfortunately, that really is the right answer. Yeah. So especially if it is really, if it's new, not just to you, but on the market, because the Linux guys may have just gotten their hands on it themselves now and have a chance to start playing with it. Yeah, and because Linux developers in general um, are just regular everyday people um, and not... Um, mutant zombies? <laughs> yeah, like not mutant zombies. Apple? No, not professional developers. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, just regular guys working their spare time. It really does come down to when they can purchase one so that yeah. they can write a driver for it. Mutant yeah. zombie professional developer. Yep. <laughs> mutant zombie professional home de developer person. Or yeah. their professional development job is for something other than Linux. So, Right. right. Yeah, unless they're like a Tim Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that story where he's working one job, but actually working another job at the one job while he's doing the other job. Right. <laughs> right. We have a comment in the chat room. Door-to-door uh, -door, door -door geek uh, gives us a link, wiki.ubuntu.com slash Skype webcams. Uh, tells you the cams that do work and um, the ones, some things that you can go around. I'll make sure I put that in the show notes uh, before. Yeah. Well, I feel highfalutin. We've got door-to-door -door geek listening to our show tonight. <laughs> Yeah, um, that's actually a really good re um, resource door to door. Um, I would have brought it up, but I didn't have the link with me. So, 
There's another one out there too, and I don't remember where that one is. Um, that has a list of working webcams besides the one that you went to. I'm sure there are lots of them out there somewhere. Yes. Okay, so moving right along. Uh, webcams. Printers. That's another thing that I have had a lot of trouble with. And in my case, uh, the cheap Windows-only printers, like if you bought a Kodak inkjet printer for $50 because it was cheaper than buying the replacement ink for your Canon inkjet printer for $60, odds are that's not going to work in Linux at all. Um, oh, golly, Kodak. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, because the just to give you a little background on what happens there is uh, Windows and, uh, uh, to a lesser extent, the Mac OS, but Windows specifically, has uh, a very uh, well-developed printer subsystem built into it so that it renders all the printing. It basically does everything that needs to happen and just spits out a bitmap and tells the printer, I put these dots here. Um, and those are the, the Windows-only printers where if you get like a PostScript printer, those printers have all the, the brains in them to do the work, and the computer sends them, uh, or the PCL, which is another, like HP likes to use printer control language, it sends them a much more low-level thing, and the printer does the work. Um, well, naturally, if you're building a $50 printer, you're going to go with the other way that uses the Windows GDI and, and is dumb. So yeah. those things don't work with Macs or Linux uh, or Solaris or anything else because they're written specifically for Windows. It's like the old Win modems back in the days were written to use the code that was already in Windows for a modem. Those were uh, so fun. Yeah. I miss those. <laughs> and so if you get one of these printers, and it's very good chance you're going to get one of those printers if you're buying a printer at Walmart, um, there just isn't going to be an option. Uh, the solution I came up with, which is stupid, um, but I would, I had my thing hooked up to my Windows Windows computer. I would print everything to a PDF, copy it over to that printer, and then print the print the PDF. <laughs> That's one way to do it too, though. Yeah. After a while, I, I scripted that so that this, there was just a little script looking for anything that was printed in there, and and so it was it became an automatic process. I hit print, it automatically put it there, that copied it over, and then fired off the print job, but. You know, I'm a geek. Uh, your grandma isn't going to want to do that. So the the best um, advice there is look before you buy, if possible. And Google is your to, friend. Be ready to return. <laughs> so the, other, the other thing you might run into, too, is that the drivers that come in Linux don't fit uh, your particular printer. Like I have a, a Color Laser 2600N. And the the drivers that the Linux people have built bundled don't work. Um, they they say they'll work. They, they'll install like they work. But when you go to print to the the printer, it just fails. So you actually have to go get a different printer driver. And I linked in the show notes the one that I have to use for my printer at foohp.rkkda.com. Um Say that, that five times fast. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> I actually have that one bookmarked, so I don't forget it. But uh, that one works really great if you don't want to install the HP uh, packages to install from or to, to install the drivers from HP because they install a bunch of extra HP stuff. Yeah, and and if you're going to buy a printer, or uh, if somebody's going to buy you and they ask ahead of time, um, HP. And um, Lexmark generally have pretty good Windows support. Uh, excuse me, Linux support. Kodak and Canon generally have no Linux support. That's just my um, observations. Yeah, and just um, this is just like a side note for all of if you ever run into some Windows fanboy who wants to go off about, well, see, that's why you shouldn't use Linux because in Windows we don't have these issues. All you have to say to them is Windows 7 64 bit, shut up. And because uh, <laughs> printing is a nightmare <laughs> in Windows, because that 2600 in, that was fun. Uh, Anybody that says that, though, Seth, you'll still have to explain to him what that meant when you said that. Right. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. All I know is the printer I bought at Walmart's for thirty nine ninety nine on Black Friday works just fine. That's right. With my e-machine. <laughs> e-machine. Wow. You had to go there. I charge double when somebody wants me to work on the e-machine. <laughs> my other computer is an e-machine. That's not just a bumper sticker. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah that's the chiclets of computing it's it, it's fine for a while and then it loses its flavor and you throw it away yeah i mean uh, their laptops are almost the, the the ones i buy are almost to the point of being disposable now i buy the cheapest one i can find 250 300 bucks no i don't want the 79 dollars service warranty i'll just buy <laughs> another one next year <laughs> well if you have the money to do that then i guess you can so um, the next thing I have on my list is digital cameras, still cameras. Now, these have come a long way in the last few years in terms of Linux support. Pretty much any of the major brands, uh, even their cheap little uh, uh, toy cameras, are going to hook up in Linux and show up like a, like a pen drive. What you won't necessarily get is all the flashy stuff that automatically imports it and sends it through some red-eye reduction and then gives you one-touch upload to HP's website. But I don't like that stuff anyway, personally. I would okay. rather just put it in and be able to drag my picture, uh, pictures over. And it's been a long time since I had any trouble with a, web, uh, with a digital camera in Linux. It just works for the most part. What do you guys think yeah. about that? I'll agree with that. The other thing that you'll, you can even do is like for – my particular laptop, you know, I have all the USB cords. I could probably plug in half the country if I wanted to with all the hubs. But uh, I actually just eject my memory card reader and just read the little cards. That works just as fast for me as plugging in the camera. Yeah, but if you get like the – I bought my daughter a little Barbie princess camera, and it didn't even have one, right? And right. it was from some no-name Japanese or probably Chinese manufacturer. I plugged it in, and it just said, uh, hey, new portable device. Yeah. And well, that's, this is, great. that's because of the, the wonder that is USB. I mean, that's all they're doing. Right. It's just USB yeah. is USB is USB, and they're smart enough to just use USB now. So Thank goodness. Now, if Apple would do that with their iPhones, which are USB devices, but no, they don't do that. No uh, way. I'm just happy that you know they pretty much settled on the micro USB for, you know, you, the, for a while there you had the oh, man. the mini and the micro and the big fat one. I don't know what the big fat one's called. And you all know, the proprietary never, connectors. I mean, yeah, I yeah. Sony had their own, and Panasonic had their own, and well, Sony still does have their own. Oh no, the Sony's sticks. So stupid. Yeah. Oh, I hate stuff like that. <laughs> Yeah, Sony and the memory stick. That, that's a that's a bad idea that they're determined to stick to. <laughs> yeah, they were secretly also supporting the digital video disc, you know, the you know the, the whatever that was, laser the disc, laser disc back in the day, you know. Yep. And that leads us right into smartphones, uh, since we were talking about charging them. Uh, smartphones, uh, like we've already mentioned, the iPhone, we've singled that out. Uh, you will have limited success with an iPhone once it's activated. Uh, or an iPad. Once you get it activated, that is going to have to be done on a Windows or a Mac, period. It's got to be done with iTunes. Yep. But once you get that done, things like uh, uh, Roxio... Uh, man, why do I always call it Roxio? Uh, I don't know, Mark. Rhythmbox. Things like Rhythmbox and Banshee. We'll see it. We'll sync to it. We'll push to it. They can You can download uh, uh, podcasts and sync to it. It'll keep you... They, they do a great job with that. Um but yeah, sometimes Cheryl's iPod showed up fine in my Ubuntu. Right. Sometimes you have to dry, buy, uh, download some some hacks to fix it. You know, but like in Ubuntu, for example, you go to the Ubuntu Software Center and type in iPad, and it'll come up with the the little hack that you need. And you know, one click and install, and it'll make it work. But for the most part, those things work just fine. Um, if you got a BlackBerry. Now, I, am, I used to be a, a big-time BlackBerry user. I found that it actually worked better in Linux than it did in Windows. It was more <laughs> reliable, and I had one-button uh, one tethering in Windows uh, in under Linux that I could never get to work that well under Windows. Interesting. Uh, but the other you know, feature phones that you might have, uh, it's going to depend on the phone, but most of the time they'll show up as, like we've been saying, just a USB device. Thank goodness for that. There again, the power of USB. USB. Now, Chris, I know that you're a, a smartphone maven and have, have experience with dozens of different models. What, what do you say about this? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I have no smartphone. I have no cell phone. Yeah, Chris doesn't or, even have a cell phone. He doesn't even have uh, just a little uh, flip phone. Nothing. Nope. No, I have nothing, and there's good reason for it. My, if my Google Voice number isn't good enough, then... Uh, I guess you'll have to call somebody else. <laughs> uh, Seth, have you had any experience with uh, different smartphones at all? Um, not in a uh, Linux environment. 
Okay. You know, I, I've only had the uh, iPhone when I worked at Greenville, so that's the only smartphone I had. Right. Now, uh, my um, experience, I guess, goes across the board then, because I'm sort of a phone junkie, but uh, I've done Android. I, Android obviously works really well with Linux. They, they sort of they want that to happen uh, right. blackberry and again it's it comes back to what the developers have there's lots of android devices in the hands of linux developers there's yep. lots of blackberries in the hands of linux developers and there's lots of ipads and iphones in the hands of of linux developers too so those t- things tend to be uh really well supported and i think you can safely get whatever phone you've got uh hooked up and working all right, guys, that was my short list. Did you have any other um, peripherals you wanted to mention? Anything in the chat room from anybody? Well, I would say one, I was going to say one thing about, say, Bluetooth, because I use Bluetooth day in and day out. Um, I have two Bluetooth devices I can hold up right now. For those that are watching, my little Plectronics headset and my uh, motor, the Motorola. Yeah, my Motorola stereo Bluetooth headset. Um they work pretty much plug and play with all my Bluetooth devices or my Bluetooth adapters. Even the the cheap no name USB one that I bought from Amazon for fifty cents. So that's now, another thing that works. Is, is the Bluetooth that they're connecting to a USB Bluetooth, or is it Bluetooth that's in, integral into the motherboard of the machine, like both. plugged in as a car or something? Uh, both. Okay. Um, I've actually even synced my laptop. To the car that has blue that has uh, Ford Sync to play music through it. So cool. huh. that's another that's another thing where Bluetooth is just Bluetooth is just Bluetooth, just like right. USB. It's a it's a standard that everyone connects to. Um, the true test will be is I have a a Bluetooth 3.0 device coming that I want to see how well that works inside of Linux, and I have a feeling it'll work great, but. I figured it was a cheap price. I wanted to to be able to move my Bluetooth antenna up off my desk, off my desk, and put it up higher, so I the range would be better in my house. Yes, because you know you want to be dictating from your basement instead of just uh, at your computer. <laughs> well, actually, the reason I want the better range is for when I'm listening to music, I can be. You know, cooking or doing dishes or taking out, running after my daughter who runs all over the house like a crazy woman. Um, where right now, with where my laptop is, Mark, you remember when I did the little Bluetooth thing? I can get to the back of the back of my house and about three quarters to the front of the house before the Bluetooth dies. If I can get this up higher off the you know the, the tabletop, I bet you I can get all the way outside if I really need to. All right, so that's a bionic Bluetooth right there. (laughs) You know, and I actually did that with that one at work. Um, I lifted a Bluetooth, the little USB dongle piece, um, to the top of the, right next to the roof of my room, and I now can reach, you know, through a couple brick walls, and I have twice the range now. 26-foot of USB cable to be wireless, which is great. (laughs) <laughs> well, it, it's nice to get it up off because it was on the floor where the the little dongle was. So I got it up off the floor, and now it's you know it's that whole idea where if the if the antenna is high, you can get to it easier. My experience has been, Aaron, uh, to the question you were asking, that USB Bluetooth dongles work better than built-in Bluetooth uh, chips. And that was going to be my guess because then again, the device is doing the conversion from Bluetooth to USB, and the USB is USB is USB. For the most part, yeah. I would, it's one of those. I would, be more, I would expect more often if there was going to be a problem, it would be when you got some Asus motherboard or whatever. And do we have Linux drivers for a built-in Bluetooth peripheral? This isn't Asus. <laughs> I didn't say it would work. As I said, my <laughs> suspicion would be that if it didn't work, that would be when it would not work. Yeah, some some <laughs> generic Bluetooth device. Seth, you were going to say something? I was going to say, I've just found in when computing in general, a lot of USB devices work better than internal ones. Like, if you have a wireless card internal on your computer, you're not going to get as good of range on a desktop than if you have a USB wireless card. Um, I think that's because it's outside the case, probably, right? Right. And, you know, you're, you're eliminating the distance from all of, like, the power supply and all the other EMI generated by the computer. But now in a, in a laptop... 
it's the opposite because a laptop built in they have the uh why the antennas running up behind your monitor and so you know you get a lot bigger spread with your antenna so on a desktop usb stuff works better on a laptop a lot of times built in works better we actually in one location that i worked at years ago we had a bunch of laptops that had plug-in usb cards and the laptops weren't all the exact same models, and half of them had the USB ports on one side, and the other half were on the other side. And they were down a hallway, and the the, the access point was in the middle of the hallway. So we always had to make sure that when we dis- when we distributed the laptops, that we had the right ones down the right side, because if you put it backwards where the USB was against the wall, it was just enough wall and person and interference and other equipment sitting around that the signal would be weak, and they'd get really bad performance. And so you, you come back call and say, man, my computer's running horribly slow and it keeps dropping me. And you go down there and sure enough, they had room one and four backwards. They, you know, <laughs> and so their, their device was over in the corner with their USB dongle would be hanging and stuck over in the corner by the sink or something. And you just flip the laptops and that would fix it. Hmm. See, I was going to bring up USB mice because I know I have an older one here in my hands. It's the NX um, 700 version of the Logitech mice for wireless and the the base features were great on this but the uh some more of the advanced buttonings like the the forward and back and the task switcher don't work at all unless you want to go through the uh the jumping through hoops for um the extra buttons but there is plenty of guides out there to fix that let's see that's something that would never even come up on my radar because i use left button right button scroll wheel that's all i care about yeah well like if if you're in gimp you know, the middle click on the wheel is a is a tool. Just like you can actually map the buttons on the right. side, your your forward and back, you can map those to your different you know different tools in GIMP. So if you can't actually click those buttons, you know if the your Linux distribution doesn't understand what that button is, you can't map it. Well, the best thing about those buttons is whenever you have a computer installed in a conference room with the big screen TV hooked to it for your executives to use. And the Bluetooth keyboard and mouse that somebody bought to hook up to it um, has those built-in buttons, and one of them is set by default to magnify, and people keep clicking it and calling you to come down there to fix it because they have this big box that's all over, moving all over the screen and they can't make it go away. That's the best yeah. thing for those buttons. That's why they exist. That one always Gr- makes me laugh. Generate useless support tickets. <laughs> all right, that's the generate else? useless support ticket button. <laughs> Any other yeah, but it helps your stats. That's right. Yeah, no. It makes your numbers look good at the end of the year. All right. So uh, I'm going to, we're getting close to the hour mark. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, uh, move into the command line tip of the week. Mr. Chris, Mr. Command Line Godfather, what is your command line tip of the week? Well, today's tip is actually an advanced tip from the one I, I did previously. Um, I, I know everyone has heard me say about make dir. Um, M-K-D-I-R. And what that does is it makes a folder instead of a directory. But, you know, it, that can be quite convoluted if you go and make dir folder, CD into the folder, and then make dir into another one, and then constantly doing that little loop. It's a waste of time. Just go make dir, type out the full string of the directory, that you know, the whole tree that you want. So, like, in my example in the notes, I put up there... Um, Oop, I just lost my place. <laughs> slash home, slash user, slash folder one, slash folder two, slash folder three, slash whatever. If you do that whole thing in a command, it'll make that full tree for you. You don't have to make their folder, CD into the folder, and then make their again. You can just do the whole thing in one shot and save yourself some time. Question for Good you, Chris. If, yes. If I wanted to... If if home username folder name one already existed, and I wanted to make dir folder name two folder name three, can I just do that, or will it say these already exist? Will it well, what you what you would do is what you would do is just type in the whole thing because if it the folder name already exists, it'll just go into the folder and then keep going down the tree until it doesn't have a folder to go into. And then if you say like if you already had username folder name one, and but you don't have folder name two. In folder name three, since those are empty, it'll automatically create those folders as it goes down the tree. Excellent. So I don't have to worry about drilling down into folder name one and then do folder name two, folder name three. Right. I can, I, it'll it'll create the things it needs to. It'll leave the things alone that are already there. Correct. Now, can you do multiple things in the same level? 
like uh, slash mark slash folder one folder two folder three inside it, not subfolders. Uh, I've never actually tried. I've never. Well, if you're, you'd probably just use the and command if you're trying to do a multiple ma- uh, folder in the same. Like you're trying to go folder one inside your home folder you're trying to go like well, mark for example let me let me give you a, a real world okay. example when i set up a new podcast i have uh the podcast name and then i have raw edited and um um final episode so those three folders go in every one of those so is there a way i could say create a folder podcast name and then raw edited and and final episode all in one shot what I would do, and I'm not sure how to make that an easy, quick command. What I would end up probably doing, you know, just to, since you put me under the gun, Mark, if I were to quickly have to batch something in, I would go with the end end command. So make their folder, you know, the file tree that you're, the folder tree that you're trying to make, end end, make their the next folder tree, end end, next folder tree. I knew the answer to that. I just wanted to hear you go to that all geeky and and stuff. I I love it when you uh, when you talk command line to me. <laughs> FYI, you can also do the same thing in Windows with make dir. Yes. Yep. Because Windows it, stole almost all of its uh, uh, command line stuff from Unix, and Linux stole all of almost all of its command line stuff from Unix. Therefore, they're very similar. And Windows stole all of its look from Mac. So. <laughs> no, actually, they both stole it from Xerox. Oh yeah. All right, Seth, what is our end user tip of the week? It's very pertinent to today's topic. If you have peripheral questions, a great place to look would be www.linux.com slash directory slash peripherals. And there you can find discussions on different peripherals and what ones work inside Linux and what Linux systems they work in. So if you're going to buy some peripherals and you want to know does this work with my ubuntu unity interface well then take a look here and see what they say i wonder how up to date that is you know since i'm not a big peripherals guy i did not know but it talked about hd cameras (laughs) and some of the stuff i was looking through because you know i i have my built-in camera and i plug in a usb mice and some flash drives that's my <laughs> that's my peripheral extent i um, for me when i'm looking it over there's not much in it um it's pretty bare bone right now like under their scanners they have four that's four devices <laughs> Uh, we didn't even go into scanners, but uh, my experience with scanners has been almost universally positive. The Twain driver just works, and you know it just it, it be what it be. I would so, say I guess for, it's such a low level programming thing. It's probably pretty universal. I would give it a fifty per, or ninety percent because I have one um, a, a Scanjet twenty four hundred. It's kind of old, uh, but it doesn't work without a bunch of tinkering that you have to do to get it to work. Is it parallel or USB? It's USB. Okay. I know the old the, parallel things were a pain to work in any OS. Yeah. The the Twain driver sees it, but when you when it tries to scan it, it doesn't initiate it properly and you get a garbled picture. So it's close, it's just not there. Are there your, is there any kind of common threads as far as uh Linux having problems with or not having problems with um IDE and iSCSI and SATA and in other words, all the different uh, you know driver driver type disk types, especially in you know the more modern SATA drives and things like that. Or does it all seem to they've got all that pretty hashed out already? Oh yeah, I would say that that's that's a, a minor issue. If if even I wouldn't say it's even a minor issue. The the uh, real outstanding one or two, I guess, are wireless network and sound cards. Those are the two that you're most likely to have trouble with. Okay. And those are getting smaller and smaller, too. The first computer I bought as an adult was an IBM 486-25SX. Um, SX? Wow, you had the expensive model. Uh, was, no, DX was the, oh, was, the, right. my, was the math co-processors. Mine was not the math co-processors. And so I was a teacher, remember? I couldn't afford the DX. And I uh, couldn't afford the SX either. <laughs> anyway, um, 
And so one of the first things I got to do was go home and open up my brand new computer and put in my sound card. Right. And install my CD-ROM that I had bought separately because it didn't come with one. And then uh, and for about a month later, my wife got me returned to Zork as a birthday present. And it kept saying, not enough memory, not enough memory. So I went down, I bought two more meg of memory. <laughs> I had six meg of memory. And it gave me the exact same error. And I was like, what is going on? So I uh, went to the library and got a book. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't Wait, look it up what's on the a book because there really wasn't such a thing to look it up on about DMA and IRQ and upper memory blocks right. and and all that. And I realized that it was my conventional memory that I didn't have right. enough of. That two meg didn't help me at all. It was a hundred bucks I just threw away. Right. You had to 50 use fifty bucks a meg. Yeah, you had to use load UF, US, load mem USB or UMB yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Yep. That's funny. I remember my first um, computer yep. going out and uh, maxing out my Best Buy credit card to buy four megs of RAM and a Mathco processor. I remember adding in the external Mathco processor, and I was Mac Daddy on my 386. Well, if I you go back to Doom. Oh, that's awesome. If you go back before that, my first computer was actually a TRS-80 Color Computer 2. I had one of those as well. That I got for my 16th birthday in 19, what year would that have been, 85. And my mom and I on the kitchen table pulled the 16K chip out and put a 64K chip in. Wow. Because I ran out of room writing my own text-based adventure program with 16K just was not enough. (laughs) So you didn't want to spool it off to the tape? Well, no, no, no. It 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 wouldn't even load into memory. That wasn't it. You know, I didn't didn't know how to pull and retrieve stuff uh, on the fly. So everything I had had to be loaded into memory. I remember typing load space, the name of the file, hitting play on the tape player and going out and playing for a half hour and yep. then coming back. Wow. That's, well, I, that's when you know you're old school right there. Even when I got the 64K, I had written this, I probably mentioned it before, this Phantom of the Opera um, text-based adventure program where you got locked in the opera house and you had to find the Phantom and all this kind of stuff. And it, it was actually pretty creative, I thought. I ran out of room typing it. And like the last two things I needed to program, like two rooms I needed to build, I had to go back and edit descriptions in my rooms and make them shorter because literally I was down to running out of characters. You know, I was like 63,487. And I, I got to go back and got to strip a thousand characters out of these room descriptions. <laughs> so it was all those go sub and go to loops that were taking up all the space, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's funny. Hey, I just found a link for a cartoon that actually talks about the SOPA act. Uh, you should take a look at it. It is super funny. Uh, I'll drop it in the chat room as well. Uh, by the time the show comes out, you'll have to go previous a couple of times to get to it. But uh, anyway, I thought it was funny. Yeah, so. if there's a not a permanent link... Surely there's a permalink to just that cartoon. Well, there probably will be next week when the new one comes out. But um, like, because if you go like to a previous one, there's a permanent link for that one. So I I wasn't able to find it there. Okay. Yeah. So mm. we'll I'll definitely put that in the show notes though. Okay. I anything else, guys? No, I think that covers it. All right. So this is the part where I would tell you that if you want more information or if you want to share your um, text-based adventure game stories with us. The place to do that is at our forums at uh, elementop.com. Log in there, register for the forums. There's an everyday Linux forum. And tell us uh, what your first computer was. That's a great assignment. What was your first um, computer, and what did you do with it? On my TRS-80 Color Computer 2, you had the three, uh, Aaron, right? Oh, I had the two. Okay, you had the two. The gray case with Mm -hmm. the, yeah. Um, The cartridge slot in the side. Right, the little cartridge slot. That's what got me into trouble, because I thought I was going to be a programmer, right? And so I stuck a pocket knife in there and started randomly jumping pins together to see what would happen. Well, what happened was it sparked (laughs) out, and it became a brick, and it never worked again. Um, but that's I don't know what happened to mine. To be honest with you, I went off to college and didn't take it with me. And it's it's probably in my mom's attic somewhere. That's funny. It probably would still work if I pulled it out. So, I bet you get a lot of money from eBay for people that want to collect those type of things too. Yeah, you could probably get seventeen, eighteen dollars out of that. <laughs> yeah. Now, my first computer was not my own. It was my crazy friend Steve's dad's TRS eighty Model One that we used to put the DOS one disc in the eight and quarter foot drive, wow. or eight and a half drive. 11 and a half drive, whatever it was, the huge one, booted up to DOS 1.0, open it up, take it out, put Zork in, shut it, boot boot the game up, 
And then when his dad got the second drive and we could leave the DOS disc in the first drive, was it was like, deal. man, we are uptown. Yeah, baby. I remember you had to have three discs to do anything. You had the OS disc, you had the program disc, and then you had the data disc. Yeah. And so if you wanted to save your game state or something or save what yeah. you were working on, you had to have your data disc for that. So anyway, well, hop on over to elementopity.com, jump in the forums, tell us what, about your first experience. That'll be an interesting thing. And uh, we hope you had a wonderful Christmas uh, holiday and that now maybe we've given you some tips on how to hook up all that great stuff. If you want to feedback to us in any way and let us know uh, what's on your mind or just wish us a Merry Christmas, you can do that at uh, twitter.com slash elementop or facebook.com slash elementop or um, phone number. Give us a call at 559-I-AM-OP. Aaron? I am OP. Uh, 559-I-AM-OP. And... Um, <laughs> You can leave us a voicemail there or check out our new mobile app in the Android store, hopefully soon to be in the iPhone store. Maybe by the time this show comes out, probably not. Uh, in the I sounded more like market. Chunk, actually, when I did it that time. Yeah, that, from was, the Goonies. that wasn't very good. That was, <laughs> yeah. I was about to yawn right when you said yeah. this. It's late here in Georgia. Yeah, that was like the monster from um, uh, Frankenstein, Young Frankenstein. It's, yeah. that there is! It was more like that. <laughs> All right, Peter Boyle is awesome. <laughs> Uh, God rest Peter Boyle's soul. He was uh, a good, good entertainer. So, okay, that's it. That's how to find out without us uh, about us and to feedback to us and let us know what you think. And so, before we move on to any other bad impressions of 70s movies, I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. <laughs>